we, us. We're talking for five weeks right now about relationships, about how God wants to work in our life to give us tools to be prepared for a marriage that honors God and brings joy for us. Or does the same if we're single or for those that are already married or seeking to be married. And you're going to find, even though they seem to be different topics, they really mesh together. And there's a blending of things, whatever our life situation is. And today, we're going to talk about the idea, water your own garden. Water your own garden. And I wonder how many of us here have made a fool of ourselves for love. I'd love to hear some of those stories. We won't do that today, but I'll bet you there's quite a few of us here that have made a fool of ourselves and done some outlandish things because we wanted that person to notice us. We wanted to express to them our affection for them. And so we concocted some very interesting and extravagant things to get their attention. And if you are dating someone or already married, what have you done or what are you doing to pursue them? Pursuit, this idea of pursuit, is at the heart of what we're going to talk about today. I was in someone's home this week and uh, I saw some beautiful flowers and a card that one of them had bought for the other. I think about when Debbie and I were dating, you know, about 175 years ago, and we would talk on the phone to each other every day, and it was a corded phone, no less. Talk about sacrifice for the cause. By nature, we... I I didn't hear that one. What was it? What was it, Randy? I am old. That was a good one. What was I saying? By nature, we pursue what we don't have. And maybe we drove overnight on really sketchy roads just so we could spend a precious few minutes with that person that we care about. We went to the concert of that group that we really didn't like because they liked them. All kinds of things that we've done or are doing to pursue them. Now, years later, we wake up, and if we're honest, we're thinking to ourselves, why don't I feel the love? Where did it go? Where's the adventure? Where's the romance? How did we, how did I get things so out of whack that we've stopped pursuing one another? You know, is there any area of your life where you can be lazy and see improvement? You know, can you be lazy and get in better shape? Can you be lazy in your business? Not lead well and neglect the finances and be grumpy with your customers and still expect your business to thrive and to do better? Can you be lazy in your yard and not water the grass and the trees and don't fertilizer and don't bother to pull the weeds? 
not be lazy and have it go forward? Is it time to water your own garden? Exactly the same in marriage. Or if you're looking to get married one day. We've talked about singleness in this little series. We've you know, discussed the irony of someone who's married getting up to talk about singleness. And I was painfully aware of that at the time. But we just tried to look in God's word. And we acknowledge that there's just this whole strata of deep, different situations when it comes to singleness. And for some people, there's just high levels of contentment. And for some people, there's significant hurt. And there's all kinds of factors and situations. We talked last week about priorities. We said, God will be my first priority. And if I'm married, my spouse will be my second. And my kids will be my third. We lifted this out of Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. In particular, as we're talking about our our spouse being number two in our life, where it says um, when, you, when God who created marriage and ordained marriage said what you're going to do is you're going to leave your father and mother. In other words, you're going to reprioritize the human relationships in your life and you're going to go and be with your spouse, be with your wife. It also says you're going to be united there to your spouse. And in Hebrew, this is the word devak. And it literally means to cling, it means to stick, it means to stay close, it means to pursue closely and hard. They were devak, one flesh. And we're talking about this idea of pursuit today, of devak. Hebrew is this really cool language that many times the words in Hebrew are like a word picture. They're like One word can be like a mini story. I love that about Hebrew. And so this same Hebrew word appears in Psalm 63, and it means I will follow closely behind you. And incidentally, that's the favorite verse of the stalkers amongst us. That's a bad joke. In Job 41... Same Hebrew word. It says they join fast to one another. They cling together. They cannot be parted. In Judges chapter 20, again the Hebrew word, they pursued hard after them. And so we want to take this Hebrew mini story and see how it's played out in this main text that we're going to look at today. And it's a beautiful story of pursuit. And so if you have your Bible or your device We encourage you to follow along because scripture is just intensely practical. We're going to be reading from Genesis chapter 29, first book of the Older Testament, the very first book in the Bible, Genesis chapter 29. I'm actually going to begin reading in verse 14. There's a whole backstory, generational stuff going on here. And uh, we won't spend a lot of time on that, but there's some issues in this family group that we'll kind of address in a sidebar manner, but mainly we're looking at the idea of pursuit in this passage. And so Jacob has some issues with his family, and he kind of has to leave, and he goes to a faraway way, and he hangs his hat with one of his distant relatives. And this begins then in verse 14. It says, Then Laban, this is his distant relative, said to him, You are my own flesh and blood. 
After Jacob stayed with him for a whole month, Laban said to him, Just because you are a relative of mine, should you work for me for nothing, tell me what your wages should be. So they negotiate a business deal. He's been working for him for a month and living there. Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel was lovely in form and beautiful. Jacob was in love with Rachel and said, I'll work for you seven years in return for your younger daughter, Rachel. Remember, this is a different cultural setting, different historical setting. Although in the Middle East, where I've been a couple of times, things along this line still can take place. And I saw that playing out in some of the places I've been there. But it's a little different than we typically do it here in North America. Laban said, it's better that I give her to you than to some other man. Stay here with me. So Jacob served seven years to get Rachel. Now listen to this. But they seem like only a few days to him because of his love for her. Because of his love for her. Then Jacob said to Laban at the end of seven years, give me my wife, my time is completed, and I want to lie with her. He wants to get married, he wants to have sexual relationship with her. So Laban brought together all the people of the place and gave a feast. They're they're awesome at this in the Middle East in particular. The whole community comes together, and it's a great party and wonderful time together. So, But when evening came, and remember, they're, they're dressed in, in veils at that time, especially the bride would be, and you can't really see so well. And he, he goes, when evening came, he brought his daughter Leah and gave her to Jacob, and Jacob lay with her. And Laban gave his servant girl Ziphah to his daughter as her maidservant. When morning came, there was Leah. So Jacob said to Laban, what is this you've done to me? I served you for Rachel, didn't I? Why have you deceived me? Nice father-in-law, eh? And a horrible dad, too. Horrible dad. Laban replied, It is not our custom here to give the younger daughter in marriage before the older one. Finish this daughter's bridal week, which is their version of the honeymoon. Then we will give you the younger, I give you the younger one also in return for another seven years of work. Not a good dad. And Jacob did so. He finished out the week with Leah, and then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. Laban gave his servant girl Bilhah to his daughter Rachel as her maidservant. Jacob lay with Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than Leah. So he picked up some really bad habits from his family about playing favorites. And the whole idea of lying to one another, very prevalent in this family and playing favorites, but we won't spend a lot of time on that. But you start to see some of the heartache that comes when people lie and play favorites. And he worked for Laban another seven years. So he's traveled from his distant home to be with these relatives. He's working for Laban. He sees the two daughters. He's attracted to the younger sister. We're told in the text that Rachel is lovely in form and figure. He says, I want to pursue a relationship with your daughter. I want to marry her. These different customs and so forth come into play. Basically, he says, I'll do what it takes 
in order to marry her. And he works seven years to win her hand. And as we said, and let me reread to you, uh, it, it says in verse 20, he does this, but they seem like only a few days to him because of his love for her. So time flies by. I'm doing this because I'm pursuing her because I love her. And dad is this incredibly shady individual and tricks him and abuses both of his daughters and his son-in-law. And right after he gives his second daughter after the first honeymoon to Jacob, Jacob works for another seven years for this second wife. Now, we're going to do a little aside here because some of you are thinking this right now. This is not the main idea of the text, but some of you are thinking, or of what I want to talk about today, some of you are thinking, is polygamy a good thing? No. Always a bad idea in Scripture. It's because this is a historical, factual document, it's recorded and reported in Scripture, but God never approves of it. Moses recorded, we read this last week, in Genesis chapter 1, what does he say? One man, one woman. I'm going to say that again. One man, one woman. Leave your father and mother, be united, be bavak, uh, devak rather, united in one flesh. Jesus quotes this same passage twice in the New Testament and the Apostle Paul once. Whenever we see polygamy practiced in the Bible including in this case, always a bad result. Pain, rivalry, jealousy, brokenness, murder in one or two cases, drama. Look at today's geopolitical crisis that some Arab states and Israel, the situation between them as nation states, where did all of this begin? It began with one guy sleeping with two girls. Always a bad idea. Apart, so let's just set that aside. Apart from all of that, this is a story of pursuit. A story of pursuit. I love her, and I will gladly give seven years of my life to be married to her. And as it says in verse 20, time flew by because he loved her. Then the big switcheroo comes from dad, as dad does this really jerky thing to his daughters and to him. And then after another week, he gets to marry Rachel as well. Here's the thing that's cool about this. He worked for Rachel after he already was in relationship with her for seven more years. He worked for Rachel after he was in relationship, after he was married to her for another seven years afterwards. And this is a beautiful picture of pursuit. He worked for her. I ask you, what are you doing to pursue that person you're dating or that person you're married to? If you wake up one morning and you find yourself saying, where is the love? What have you done to pursue them? 
See, God wants us to pursue our number two. We talked about that last week. He's number one. She or he, the, whoever the spouse is, is number two. We're united, one flesh, pursuing one another. Often think back to when you were dating or if you are dating now as a single person, you buy them gifts, you invest time, you learn to like the things or give some level of appreciation to the things they like. You, you, know, you let them play their song uh, on, the, on the iPod or whatever, on their phone. Um, even though maybe it's not your favorite, you let them play that and that's part of the, uh, the, the song list. Let me just stop for a second and speak really practically here. If you're dating someone and there is not tangible, visible, mutual pursuit, time to reevaluate the suitability of that relationship. If you are putting in the effort and you find that other person is just putting in time, it's time to evaluate the suitability of that relationship. Ladies, let me just say to you, you are worth pursuing. You're worth pursuing. And gentlemen, guys, let me say to you, there's something special about you that should be appreciated. And if you find that the other person just seems to be putting in time with you, maybe that relationship is not for you and really not for them either. Maybe they're doing it out of some sense of obligation or whatever. And if it's just kind of, meh, should you really be in that relationship? For those of you that are married, for those of us that are married, you know, it's, it, <laughs> I've done a few weddings in my day, been married for a long time now. No one gets married thinking, my goal in this is to start out really strong, but to fairly quickly slip into cruise control mode and end up a few years down the road in a really bad marriage. My goal eventually, is to lose intimacy with this person because I want to be miserable, and I want to make them miserable too. We don't start out like that. We start out, it's ridiculous, right? We start out with good intentions, and then life begins to wear us down. We want to show love. We want to pursue but for any number of reasons, some of them good, some of them probably not so good, we gradually move away from that level of pursuit. So what are some practical scriptural ways to gradually right the ship? Because it never just happens, okay? You never just wake up one day and you're in a bad relationship. You never just wake up one day and make a catastrophic decision that destroys your marriage. People that say that, they're lying to themselves. There's always a gradual moving away that may end up in sort of that last act that severs things, but there has been a gradual moving away. So it's going to be a gradual moving back. What are some practical, really simple, but here's the, some of you are going to go, oh, that's just too simple. My experience is often the people that protest a ton about that kind of stuff are the people that aren't doing it. 
So here's some really practical, because the Bible is very practical, down-to-earth things that you can do to pursue in your relationship. The first one is, when you think something good, say it. When you think something good, say it. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 13 says this, and I'm kind of loosely applying this to the marriage relationship. Encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. If you want to keep sin, so, so what the writer to Hebrews is saying, if you want to keep sinfulness and deceitfulness out of your relationship, one of the things that will help in that is to encourage one another daily. Whenever and every time you think something good, say it, text it, write it, email it, let them know. And it's better to overdo this than underdo this. We typically way underdo this. Never let your spouse, never let the person that you're dating be starved for verbal affection. This is so simple, yet it's very profound, and it shapes relationships. Let me talk for a minute first to the men practically and then to the women practically. Now, having said this, I'm going to speak in general terms, and I understand this is not universally applicable, and sometimes it flows back and forward. Sometimes it's not particularly true of men, not particularly true of women, but let me speak in general terms. So first of all, men. Men, pursue her with words of affection. Now, what I'm specifically referring to here is non-sexual affection. Sexual affection is a good thing. It's a part of a healthy marriage. Notice I said marriage. Not when you're single. Marriage. Sexual affection is a part of a healthy marriage. It's a good thing. It's something that you should uh, celebrate, something you should be involved in. We see our characters doing that because it's part of a healthy marriage. But men, we will tend to gravitate to that kind of verbal affection almost exclusively. We're more tempted that way. So I want to talk to you more about the non-sexual affection and celebrate that as well. And, and it, it's just a very practical and powerful approach. I'm going to just get you to finish this four-word sentence. I love you because. I love you because. Then take some significant time to think of different ways to finish that sentence. Work hard at that. So, I love you because... You're my best friend. Or if the reality is they're not your best friend, you say, you know, I love you because we're good friends and I'd like us to be best friends. What can we do to make that a reality? I love you because through all the years we've been together, you have been faithful. That says something about you. And I love you because of that. I love you because you are quick to say that you're sorry, to apologize when you do something wrong. And there are some people that are totally full of pride and rebellion, and, and even though they're obviously wrong, and we're all obviously wrong at some point, right? And if you're thinking, oh, I don't know about me, you've got some issues, friend. When you're obviously wrong, you're quick to apologize and own your stuff. That shows maturity when you do that. I love you because 
You're really mature. I love you because you forgave me when I didn't deserve it. That's what 1 Corinthians 13 love is all about. It's all about active stuff. I love you and I ding, 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 ding. Read that passage. You're loving a person when they do something and they don't deserve it. Just that's how God loves us, right? I love you because I see you sacrifice to raise our kids. I love you because I've seen you sacrifice to help with our aging parents. Pursue her with words of affection. She needs it. She brings tremendous value into your life and into the life of others. Put alarms on your phone to remind you to do this. And when you think something good, say it, text it, write it, email it. Set it free and just bless her. Ladies, pursue him with words of affirmation. Because often he is becoming who you see him as. Often he is becoming who you see him as. So pursue him, remember general categories here, but pursue him with words of affirmation, with words of respect. Avoid as much as possible telling him what he's not. It can really defeat a man and it defeats anyone for that matter. Words of affirmation, words of respect. Even if he's not quite there, when you, when you, ever you get the opportunity, build him up and he will continue to grow into the man you hope he will become. Especially in the area of his walk with God. Are you listening, ladies? Especially in that area. Take anything he does that's remotely healthy and good and, and spiritual and applaud that. So when he says to you, you know what, I think we should, let's get up and let's go to church. You're tired, you don't feel like going, jump out of bed, get ready, and come. And then say to him later, when it's just the two of you, I feel so close to you when you said, let's go to church. Maybe he's never prayed in public before. Some people are very intimidated by that. And in a few weeks' time, you're having this nice meal together at Easter. He says, uh, you know, why don't we pray? And he blows out, you know, this 15-word prayer. God is great. God is good. Let us thank you for our food. Amen. Celebrate that. Applaud him for that. Say to him later, I really appreciated that. Then maybe the next time it'll be a 30-word prayer and he'll speak out more clearly. Say to him, thank you for getting up early and going to work hard for our family. And I know both of you do, okay? You both do. But just appreciate, affirm, respect. You know, my experience, confident people usually have someone close to them that believes in them. You don't always see that person, but usually there's someone close to them that believes in them. Men, I speak to the men again, she wants to know this. Do you love me today? She wants to feel secure in that. Do you love me today? Ladies, he wants to know this. Do you believe in me today? Do you believe in me today? So anytime you think something good, say it, text it, write it, email it, 
It's better to do too much of it than not enough, and we usually don't do nearly enough. Encourage one another daily. Second one, this is simple stuff, but man, it's great stuff. When you think something special, do it. When you think something special, do it. In James chapter 4, and again, I'm kind of loosely applying this to this stuff, but in James chapter 4, verse 17, it says, if anyone then knows the good thing they ought to do and doesn't do it, it's sin for them. Anytime you know something good to do, you can bless that person. You know, just something simple like, let's go for a walk today. You know, the weather's kind of broken. It's beautiful. It's nice route. And I want to spend time with you, my special someone. Boy, that warms a person's heart, right? Why don't you just say to them, I don't know, maybe you're the one that cooks in the family, maybe you're not, I don't know. Why don't you just say that? Why don't you let me cook supper tonight? Or why don't you let me arrange the papers for you so that you can do the income tax? Debbie did that for me. I went to do them. It was a total disaster to get yesterday, but we still love each other. Get that person flowers if that's what they like. Help set up their office. Fill the car with gas. And, you know, just say, I was thinking of you, so I did it. When you think of something special to do, do it. Third one, when you want something different, be it. Don't gripe about your spouse and what they're not. We never criticize ourselves or themselves into a good marriage. We really, you know, primarily we are responsible for ourselves. And so I know what some of you are thinking. Uh, you know, oh, I got to take this home to my spouse, this talk Dixon did, and just really get them to apply it. And if this is what you're thinking, you've missed the point entirely. Very simple stuff. But if we don't like what we're getting, I think it's a wise thing to ask, what am I giving? We don't like what we're getting. I think there's a wisdom in saying, God, do you have something to say to me about what I'm giving? Am I pursuing? What did I used to do, God, that poured lighter fluid on this fire that's barely burning? What kind of fuel did I add to the fire? And so we reach out, we speak, we show romance, we show tenderness, we show affection, we pursue, and gradually over time, no guarantees here, but this is what will often happen, gradually over time, the heart will begin to soften. Say it, do it, be it. Say it, do it, be it. Let me pray with you for a couple minutes. Father, we bow in your presence, and we are so grateful that you're the God of pursuit. So often in my life, I've, I've gone, you know, God, why didn't you just walk on us? And we walked on you. And walked on you over and over and over again. Why did you pursue us? Thank you so much that you had a plan in place to send the Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. And it's just mind-boggling to me that you were willing to come. 
that you were willing to pursue us, that you were willing to do everything and held back nothing for us, for me. Thank you so much for that. And we thank you, Spirit of God, triune God. Spirit of God, you who it says in the book of John, you convict us of sin. You point us to truth. You point us to Jesus. Thank you that you are pursuing. Thank you that you are drawing us into relationship with you. And so for those of us that are part of the family of God, for those of us that have bowed the knee, that have confessed our sin and and recognized that only, only in Christ can that be dealt with, can that be atoned for and forgiven. Thank you that we've surrounded to you and made that choice and given our life to you in its entirety. Thank you that you've shaped our life and are shaping our life. And so, Lord, I want to pray for those that are in relationships today, whether they're pursuing a, a marriage relationship or they're married. I pray for them, God, that you would, would, you would make that relationship even more intimate, that you would um, help them to take, um, because facts are our friends, Lord, just take a real close look at that relationship. Lord, if... Are they, am I pursuing? Um, and, and where necessary, help them to see, help me to see where I need to repent in that relationship. I pray that there would be healing for the marriages where there needs to be healing in our congregation to those that are listening online or here in the building. I pray for restoration where there has been brokenness. I pray that there is biblical forgiveness that's practiced, the kind of forgiveness that you offer to us. And you tell us that we are to forgive in the exact same manner. Father, give us, fill us with your spirit and allow us to just extend grace to one another, to pursue one another. And may the pursuit of marriage or marriage itself, may it just reflect you well. And we pray these things now just with anticipation for what you're going to do in Jesus' precious name.